You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome in. This is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Hopefully everyone had a, a wonderful weekend. Hopefully everyone had a wonderful Mother's Day. Hopefully everyone had a better weekend than Scott Burrell had last night on uh, the first episode of the two on The Last Dance. But we got a whole bunch to do today on this Monday edition. And, of course, you know the deal. 60 minutes to run through it all as we lead you up to Golic and Wingo, who come your way at 6 o'clock. That will include a review of Episode 7 of The Last Dance, Episodes 7 and 8, aired last night. And I've only seen seven. Uh, but I will tell you, last night, that seventh episode was sensational, especially the way it ended. Probably the best ending of any of the episodes so far. But uh, the, the issue that I brought up with the very first episode, it's being highlighted even more now. So we'll get to that in the course of the uh, next 60 minutes. Of course, you had the UFC fight from Saturday. Tony Ferguson, who I had never seen fight before. Oh, my good Lord. That guy. Had a rough Saturday night at the hands of Justin Gaethje. But uh, we got a lot of news from baseball, so let's start there. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. The daily poll question is up for today, I believe. Yeah, it is up for today. Look at that. Off and running already. But let's start with MLB. Because MLB, the league today, is set for a conference call with the 30 owners. If all goes well, which is expected to go well with the owners, they seem to be all on the same page, at least in terms of themselves, they will then send a proposal to the Players Association sometime this week, at the earliest tomorrow, Tuesday. Among those bullet points in that proposal, all the things that you've kind of heard of before, they're looking for an 80-game regular season a regular season that would begin in July, a season that would begin without fans, at least to start, and would include as many cities as possible. So the teams playing in their cities where possible, it would not be uh, some of the things that have been floated of the bubble city, no quarantine teams in either Florida or Arizona, that the teams would be playing primarily in their normal locations. Now, there does seem to uh, be uh, an issue. And that issue, which is an issue a lot of times in many different things, is not really a surprise. It's expected to be money. The owners say that they need uh, further concessions from the players because they're not going to have any fans. Now, the players and owners did already work out a deal because of the reduction in the schedule so that the players would be paid a prorated salary for the year, right? You're not going to play 162 games. You're only going to play... You know, when they worked out the deal, I think there was still hope that they would play 100 games. Now it's down to 80 games. The players feel like they've already negotiated a deal that included concessions. So how big of a deal would it be to ask the players for further concessions? Well, (laughs) according to one report, the players view it as it's going to be a war. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound good. No, usually war is not generally something you want to go in uh, expecting. Look, and Joel Sherman had a big piece on this uh, yesterday in the New York Post. Ken Rosenthal's touched on some issues in this uh, on The Athletic. 
I refuse to believe that baseball could possibly be this dumb. And make no mistake, if you're talking about baseball not being able to have a season because they couldn't work out the financial parameters, well, then there's no other word. I mean, there's there's different variations of the word, some of which I can use here, some of which I can't. But if you can't work out a deal on the financials, given all the other things that you're going to have to work through, well, then you're dumb. Given with where the country is at right now, given with where the economy is at right now, where unemployment is at right now, given what we've been through, what we're going through, and what we'll continue to go through. Baseball has a lot of things that need to go perfectly right for there to be a season. And already, even though it's what, May 11th, you can see the season's kind of slipping away here. They, I mean, they gotta, they gotta get up and rolling here and they've got to start to really, I mean, they're not, they're not down to their final strike, but you know, it's like the seventh inning now, guys, and you're down by four runs. I mean, it's time to start putting some stuff together here. They gotta get clearance from health officials. They've got to get clearance from government officials. And they have to put a lot of things in place here, some of which are completely out of their control, granted. But to think that if they do all those things, if they get all those things to line up perfectly, the health officials, the the, the government officials, the, the virus itself kind of dissipates some, and that they would have the stage, the national stage, the national sports stage all to themselves and that they would not be able to work out a deal because of the the money well then i mean you're dumb and i refuse to believe that they pop with all the people the smart people that they have running the show on both sides that they could possibly be that moronic. I have to believe that some of the things being said about this is going to be a war if the owners come back and are looking for further concessions, I have to believe that's a negotiating tactic. I have to. I can't I mean every league is trying in its its own way to come up with some content right now, right? Like the NFL draft numbers were through the roof this year, which you would expect, right? Of course. I mean, who would have been surprised by that? Everybody's stuck in their house. There are no sports to watch. You've run through everything you wanted to see on Netflix. And here's the NFL draft, which you already, if you're a football fan, you already love. And you're going to have this to watch for the next couple of, of course, the draft numbers were through the roof. The last, the numbers for the last dance have been through the roof. The UFC, I don't know what the, the pay-per-view buys were on, on the UFC, but I'm sure that those were through the roof. You have this amazing opportunity, Major League Baseball. Something you would dream about. And to think that there could be a point in this where they come to the table and say, you know what? A lot of things line, we were really hoping we we're going to be able to have a season, but you know what? The financials didn't, just didn't work out. And I've touched on this before. The the NBA players and owners, you probably have the most faith in them. If they were to be given an opportunity to work something out, they would probably, you know, they, they seem to be on the same page more times than not. <laughs> the NFL, the NFL owners, they just tell the players, all right, this is what you're getting. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And unfortunately, given the situation, that, that's the deal. 
But the the baseball players union has real power, and it's good for them. They should they should get everything that they can get. But at the end of the day, if for whatever reason they can't work out a deal on the financial aspects, they are going to get hammered. They would deserve to get hammered, and I just can't believe. Given everything, I mean, you guys, read the room, right? Like you, you have to have a little better, a little better sense of what is going on, rather than just simply worrying about what is important to you. And that's not to say that there's still be a se- even if they get that worked out, there's a possibility there's not a season. But that one uh, has to be able to get worked out. That is controllable. That is negotiable. And I, I have to believe that they will eventually. Uh, get something worked out. Now, they can't go back and forth for weeks on end because they have to get something in place here. You know, if you're looking at July is not that far off. It feels that far off, especially when it's snowing and hailing on Saturday. What the heck was that, huh? But no, they got it. They have to get this agreement in place. You're going to want to get these things. I mean, everything's been shut down for so long to get things ramped up. It's going to take a little while. So, and then you're going to have to actually go through the work of, of spring training and everything else. So July, which seems like it's miles and miles away, it's not really miles and miles away. I mean, we're already into mid-May. Now, the other thing that comes out from Major League Baseball, and it's the top story on ESPN.com, and I'll grant you, it might be a little bit over uh, my head, might be a little over yours. Major League Baseball was part of this uh, study I think it was with Stanford, that they wanted to see what portion of their employees' population tested positive for coronavirus antibodies so that they've had – they're not looking for active infections. They were looking to see who who has been exposed to it already. And they tested uh, 50 – a little bit over 5,700 people. Only 60 tested positive out of over 5,700 which would sound like when you first hear, oh, there's only been 60. Fantastic. Actually, uh, it doesn't really seem like it is fantastic. The hope was, you know, like there has been a perception that a lot of people have been exposed to the virus, have contracted the virus, and they weren't really even aware that they had it, right? Like the symptoms are so mild that they didn't even realize that they had it. It doesn't seem like that would be the case here with the, the, the people that were tested by uh, this Stanford study. The doctor who conducted the study, quote, these numbers indicate that the virus has not spread very far. They were hoping that more people had been exposed to it and just didn't realize it. What this means for me, I don't think it has any impact on, on the season or anything like that. I think that the main takeaway from people smarter than me is that baseball people – in general, I don't know what percentage of the people tested were players, but they have a higher income. You know, they're in a higher income bracket than most, and that has allowed them, in general, to stay away from the the population more than others. So I don't think this has any impact on when the season might start. But when one of the theories is that a lot of people were exposed and had zero symptoms, at least in this case, that does not appear to be the case. one 800 espn one 800 So coming up, we have to break down, obviously, uh, episode uh, seven of The uh, Last Dance, which I found, I- I'll be honest, I did not expect, you know, because you got all the big stuff out of the way in the first six episodes. So I was kind of, I knew that I was going to get the baseball 
with Jordan in this episode. I knew I was going to get the retirement in this episode coming up. Uh, but though, and, and the, obviously the death of his father. So I didn't think that this was going to be the most scintillating hour of the 10. But I got to be honest, I think it was my favorite hour of the ones that I have seen so far. So I'll explain to you why I felt that way coming up. Plus, we got to get to the poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, and it is. I know other people have kind of floated this out there, and I think it will change as time changes. But the poll question today is, given the current situation, if you were given the opportunity to do so, right now you can't, but it kind of came to me after watching the UFC on Saturday and, and thinking about the baseball and everything else, if you could attend a sporting event right now, in a normal situation, would you feel comfortable doing so? That's the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Now, I uh, did see episode 7 of The Last Dance last night. Episode 7 and 8 that uh, aired last night. I'll watch 8 today. And already, you realize what I said after the first episode this is an incredibly binge-worthy documentary series. Like as soon to know whether something is binge-worthy or not, you have you get through the the first episode and you immediately, no matter what the time is, you're ready for the second one. You you want to squeeze in another one, um, whether or not you got to get up in the morning or not. And that has been the case every time the first episode airs. You want to watch that second one right away. The problem with that is you realize that next weekend already is the it's, it's it. that's it last next weekend is the last weekend of the last dance. It's the last dance of the last dance already. It feels like it's just kind of started, and you want it to continue on despite uh, the Nick uh, highlights and lowlights. But I thought that last night. It doesn't really deal with the most fascinating material, as I said, right? It's not about his breakout or his rookie season or the, 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 the highlights of his early career. And it doesn't deal really with the championships. But to me, last night, the seventh episode was the best one I've seen so far. Now, maybe I'll feel differently after I see the eighth episode because I definitely did want to watch the eighth, the eighth episode right away. But, you know, getting ready for the show at that point, I watched it this morning. And I had to get some other stuff done. So I'll save that. And I'm glad that I did right now because you realize that you're running through this thing really quickly. And, and once it's over, we're all going to be looking for the next thing. And think about all the years it took to put together. It's like speed reading, right? Somebody writes a book. It takes them years to write. And we're just, zoom, just flying through the thing as fast as we can. But the thing about this series that has made it as good as it's not just the topic. Obviously, the topic is amazing, but the access that they had to Jordan and the fact that it is it's kind of raw at times. It is certainly real. It's not giving you other people's perception of thing. It's, it's giving you the people that were directly involved. And rather than hearing from other people talk about Jordan, you are getting him pretty candidly to talk about himself. And one of the things that, that one of the aspects about Jordan that I find the most fascinating is this hyper competitiveness that he had, like almost like this sickness that he had to beat everyone at everything. And we've seen other offshoots of it since then. 
Other people have had those kind of reputations. Kobe Bryant certainly had uh, that reputation. Uh, Derek Jeter has had uh, that. Tom Brady certainly has had that reputation of wanting to beat people at everything. This this hyper competitiveness to not just win on the court, but win at everything. And and that has been one of the uh, things that I really wanted to to get as much as possible in. And I think you've got at least his most direct comments about it. Like he has touched on it at other times of the series and where that came from. Uh, but this, this was the most raw in his dealing with teammates, how he would ride his teammates. Now the episode touches on his first retirement, right? It came during uh, the baseball playoffs. He was at a, a White Sox game to, to throw out the first pitch. The news kind of leaked there. Pat O'Brien. Uh, had a story during the broadcast about that uh, the expectation was that Jordan was going to retire. It turns out to be the truth. They have the press conference. It dealt with his dad's death, his dad's murder, and then him going to play baseball and all that. You know, I never really found the rumors about him. It was not a retirement. It was he was banished by the league, and they kind of touched on that for a little bit. I don't think that – I think in the time I could understand why people believe that, and maybe at a time I believed that myself. I don't know. Uh, but looking back, that seems kind of silly, right? Like that the NBA would take not just its most marketable player at the time, probably the most marketable, marketable player in any sport at any time, and that they would tell him he has to leave the sport – for a period of, I mean, that, in terms of conspiracy theories, I'm not a big conspiracy theory person to begin with, but I think now that time has passed, I understand getting caught up in the moment, but now that time has passed, nobody could actually still believe that, I don't think. Especially given the fact that it's now 20 years later, <laughs> or more than 20 years later, and uh, no, nobody's ever come forward. I mean, the problems with conspiracies is that it involves people, and uh, to keep people's mouths shut is a little bit difficult. So um, I did not find that part of it, and they didn't really focus that much on it. But they did focus on, I guess what you would say is his leadership style. And was it leadership really, or was it that he was so great that he could do whatever he wanted? And that's kind of, it's kind of something you go back and forth with while you watch, at least I did. And, you know, Jordan was trying to make the point that he rode his teammates hard because he wanted to get the best out of his teammates, right? Iron sharpens iron or, or something along those lines. Um, and they show him, you know, riding Scott Burrell and, and talking about Burrell as being this really talented guy. But basically, he was a nice guy, and he didn't he didn't have the killer instinct of Michael Jordan. And, and look, most people don't have the killer instinct of Michael Jordan. And Jordan was trying to get him to to push back and, and almost to fight him, um, and it and it never happened. Uh, so Jordan, you know, he he views it now, or at least he explains it now, as this was his leadership style, uh, and. That that's why he did like it was a, a he he made a mental note to push his team you know push his teammates in this way. I, I don't know if I can buy that. He can say I'll say this he can say whatever he wants now. He was not doing that at the time to get the best out of his teammates and 
I will say I don't think that his approach got the best out of his teammates. And the proof of that was the next season, they nearly got back to the finals, nearly got past the Knicks, and this was after taking the best player ever off the team. So to think that he needed to trash talk his teammates or that, you know, to, to, to sharpen their focus like him, I think is uh, to, to be ready for the challenge that uh, presented itself, I think is bunk. I don't buy that one. Now you can go back and forth that his approach was what he thought was best. I think that what you can clearly say is it was not, it was not, it definitely was not needed. To that, they would have still been the same team. I think that they turned out to be if they had Michael. If all the other things were the same, whether or not he rode his teammates that way or not, he just needed to do that because mentally, that's what he he had this mental thing where he had to be the best, and he had to tell you that he was the best. So that that applied to teammates as well as to other teams. Like there's apparently, I did not see episode eight, but you know, he kind of looks at video of Gary Payton talking about the finals against the Sonics or, or this series or that series. And you can tell that he, he still has that thing where he has to let you know, no, that's not, I could handle any challenge. I could overcome any challenge. And I think that that, that mental, whatever it is, uh, he needed to do that to his teammates as well. So it, it, the teammates were no different than the opponents. And I think that he is sensitive to the way that he is portrayed now. But at the time, it's pretty clear that that his uh, his other people's feelings were not a concern to him. So I think that that was my takeaway. And the way that the episode ended... Uh, is excellent. I'm not going to, you know, if you've not seen it, it's still early on a Monday morning. So maybe people who are up now, uh, and working did not get to see episode seven, but I thought the conclusion of episode seven was probably the best conclusion of any of the episodes so far, because it gave you, uh, what I, I definitely, what I wanted going into this series was Michael Jordan unfiltered. And the end of the episode really highlights that really, really well. And I thought it was surprising because, again, the material itself is not, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge of things at the time. You know, the baseball career and, uh, you know, obviously the death of his father and how that impacted him. Um, but I thought that the most fascinating material was the material that has been in basically every episode. Michael Jordan's need to succeed, his his mental desire that was greater than anybody else's and uh i think that maybe it was highlighted even better of just how deep it is in his psyche uh in episode seven one 800 espn one 800 and just in terms of the baseball stuff because that was touched on as well and i did not realize and i didn't remember that his manager when he retires from the NBA and goes and plays baseball for Double uh, A, the the Barons, his manager was Terry Francona. I did not. I'm sure that I had to have known that at some point, but uh, I did not uh, remember that. When I saw Terry Francona popped up, I was kind of oh, well, I didn't know that. Uh, but it, Terry Francona is of the belief that Michael Jordan 
would have eventually made the major leagues. Now, look, I, I'm going to say two things that are, are different, but they're, 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 they're both true. What Michael Jordan was able to do by retiring from the NBA, right, not playing baseball since probably, what, 17, 18 years old, and then going not to single A, not to some little, you know, some little independently. He went to double A. And to do what he did, which was to hit 202 in almost 500 plate appearances, that's amazing. That is truly incredible. There's that. There's a lot of guys who who were drafted in Major League Baseball teams that wouldn't be able to do that right away, right? Like they have to go, you know, the high school kids, whatever. He was able to, at the age of 31, after, I don't even know if he picked up a bat at any point after getting done in his high school career or whatnot. Who knows? He certainly didn't, ha- he wasn't doing it on a regular basis. It wasn't like he was gearing up for years to do this. So to even be able to hit even just 202 is truly amazing. That is true. What is also true is there's no chance that he would have made the major leagues. Come on. I mean, that's ridiculous. All due respect to Terry Francona, who has forgotten more baseball on a random Wednesday than I'll ever know. But in, in, in the one season that he played, he hit 202, which, okay, maybe if he was getting on base a ton, you, you know, really high on base percent, his on base percentage was 289. His slugging percentage was 266. I mean, he struck out 114 times in less than 450 at bats. What he did by doing that at Double A, incredible. And who knows? Maybe if he if he was a, hey, if he had been younger or spent more time doing it, maybe he might even been able to become better than that. Who knows? But that does not mean that he would. It's almost like the the Tebow thing, like what Tebow has been able to do in the minor leagues has been amazing to do that. That does not mean that he is going to be in a major or deserves to be. And I don't think that Michael Jordan, I'm sorry to Terry Francona, I don't believe Michael Jordan would have eventually made the major leagues in Major League Baseball. Sorry. He was a leader on the field and off the field. He trained harder than so many other athletes to be where he was, and I love that. Hi. (laughs) I don't know if this is real. Hello. Hello. Dr. Lieber, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. First of all, I wanted to be one of the first to reach out and say happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm crying, but thank you. As an athlete, the word hero is thrown around quite a bit. But the true heroes are people like you on the front line and what you do every day. You know, risking your personal health and the health of those you love the most for the good of others is something that is pretty remarkable. All right, so there's a little snippet. Uh, Derek Jeter was one of the people that, uh, I, I don't know who organized it, but they made calls, FaceTime calls to healthcare professionals, and that was one of them yesterday. Um, and uh, a really nice touch for Derek Jeter and everybody to kind of, you know, everybody's trying to, Come about and do their own part, right? And it's, it's difficult to do your part right now, considering the, the rules that are in place and everything else. 
But a uh, nice touch there by Derek Jeter on, uh, on Mother's Day to do that. And it kind of ties into the poll question today, which we've not really touched on as of yet. But before we do that, let me remind you, if you have a small business and are trying to get the word out that you're still serving the community, let us know. We've had over 350 local businesses reach out. We are sharing their messages. If you are a local business and want to do so, we can certainly spread the word. Email us, 987ESPN at gmail.com. Let us know your story. We'll pass a word along to our listeners. Again, 987ESPN at gmail.com, like Bagels Plus, located at 7501 New Utrecht Avenue in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. They're open six days a week with free delivery and also curbside pickup. Call them, 718-232-1404. Home of the Baker's Dozen. Get 13 bagels for the price of 12. If you mention 98.7 ESPN, closed on Tuesdays for now, but today is Monday. So there you go. Uh, bagels Plus. Uh, so the poll question, which is up for today, it's on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, is given the current situation, would you feel comfortable attending a sporting event if you could? And uh, gave you two options. Absolutely no chance. And look, I, I get it uh, for the people who y- y- you want life to be back to normal as soon as possible. Right. Nobody wants to be going through this. Nobody is 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 looking forward to more time <laughs> alone with their family. <laughs> Got to get out of this house. No, it's, but seriously, uh, it, it's concerning to me the amount of people. And at least so far, it's like 70, 30 that say no chance, but still 30% of people are like, absolutely, I would still attend a sporting event right now if I could. And my concern about the current situation is that like we've been dealing with this for a while now, and there is a certain amount of fatigue that you deal with when you're dealing with something like this day after day, day after day. But the one positive that we've had in this is that the weather itself has not really been all that great, right? Like we've had some decent days, but there's not, there's not been any really 80 degree days where you got to get outside. You got to get the kids out of the, and the problem is, is those days are coming quicker than we think. Well, not maybe quicker than they think because we're, we're desperate for them right now. But when those days open up and I saw this weekend, I went out for a run a couple of times and the amount of people that I see out and about doing things that they don't, I mean, it's, it, is it really necessary to be doing these things right now where you're, you're, you're interacting with people? But at least so far in the poll question, the current situation is that most people feel like, uh, yeah, absolutely. They would attend a sporting event. And that's, cr- I mean, I was, wa- I was wondering because it feels like, like my own family feels like, all right, we got to stay at home. We got to do this. We got to do. Can't have any interaction. And most of my friends, you know, we have not seen anybody outside. And I said my my in-laws, they they were over yesterday for Mother's Day and and they're quarantined by themselves. They don't see anybody. We don't see anybody. So that's fine. But the amount of people that are out and about doing things and interacting with other people, it's uh, it's a little concerning. And the fact that at least so far, 30 percent of people feel like, yeah, if I could attend a sporting event right now. Given the current situation, it's not like I'm saying, hey, you know, the, the world goes back to normal and, and, and there's a cure. Short of a cure, I don't know if I would feel comfortable going out and uh, attending a sporting event or attending a concert or attending really anything. Even going to a, a public place where other people, I, I think it's going to take, maybe I'm a little gun shy. Maybe I'm a bit more uh, sensitive to this, but I, I feel like it's going to be a long time 
barring a, a cure or a vaccine or something along those lines where I will feel comfortable going to attend a sporting event or a concert or anything where there's a large group of people congregating together. And I don't know when the next time it might be because you hear from Major League Baseball, you hear from the NFL, certainly seems like Major League Baseball's entire season could take place with no fans in the stands. You saw the UFC event on Saturday night, which was weird, and for no other reason that you heard everything. It was it was so weird. It's almost like one of those videos that somebody puts up online where they've dubbed the audio into something else. And it, it seems like the person, you know, they're dancing. They can't dance right because of the, the squeaking of their sneakers or they, they dub somebody else's voice into a singer. And it, it's, it looks like that they can't say it was so weird being able to hear every single punch land. And at least the, the, the fights that I was watching, especially the Ferguson Gaethje one, <laughs> there were a lot of, there were, there was a lot of, a lot of loud noises on the Tony Ferguson's face. But I, I mean, I just, I can't fathom that there are still people given all the information. And at this point, you have all the information you'll ever need. If you have not been convinced at this point, you're never going to be convinced. Doesn't matter how many facts there are, but you can vote on the poll question. We advise you, you do. On Twitter, at Gordon Dameron. Right, I was just uh, surfing uh, Twitter there during the break and uh, saw the story, uh, the sad news that Jerry Stiller has died. Obviously, the son of uh, or the father of Ben Stiller, uh, but of course, a, a comedy legend in his own right with, uh, uh, I guess, breaking in with his wife and Mira, Stiller and Mira. It's a comedy team that they were, I think they were in like the 60s, maybe the 70s. But then, of course, he got the most... Uh, popularity for being uh, George Costanza's father on Seinfeld. So uh, Jerry Stiller, 92 years old. So sad to hear that. But, uh, of course, lots to do here on the Gordon Dammer Show. We take you up until uh, 6 o'clock, at which time it is Golick and Wingo that come your way. And, you know, the one story that I did not touch on that I uh, I kind of teased there was that uh, the news came down over the weekend that A-Rod, I know, hold on to your hat. If you're driving, you might want to pull over to the side of the road because this is just going to blow you away. A Rod and J Lo, you heard that they were going. They were going to try to to buy the Mets. It turns out that's not going to happen. I know. I know. Yes, it's huge news. It's uh, maybe they could do a ten part documentary on it. Because is anybody surprised by that? And like, here's that, the deal. He, here's the deal with A Rod and J Lo. What's that? Do you play something there, Brian? And like that, he's gone. Right, he's gone. He's like Kaiser Soze. Uh, A-Rod and J-Lo, they do things because they are desperate for attention. They love the spotlight. They love to be the focus. They are narcissists. I get. I mean, there's no other way to put it, right? Like, they just love attention 100%. Like Jordan was to winning, A-Rod is to attention. He wants attention on him. He has this insatiable need for attention. So when the story came up, and look, I don't, I realize Met fans would probably take anybody being the owners of the team over the Wilpons. I did not think it would be a good thing for A-Rod to, to own the team because he would be doing things. It wouldn't be a focus on winning. It would just be focused on focusing on him. So when the story came out about J-Lo and A-Rod, they were, I mean, it sounded ridiculous. I, I realized that Jeter was able to put together a group to buy the Marlins. But even then, Jeter was able to buy the Marlins, right? Like, there's only one Marlins. 
So A-Rod and J-Lo being able to put together enough money to buy the Mets never really seemed like it made a whole lot of sense. And uh, it's not really that much of a surprise that this story, oh, look at that, didn't didn't turn out to be the case. Anybody, there's not a single person that is surprised that A-Rod and J-Lo, turns out, will not be buying the Mets from the Wilpons. And think about, I mean, could you imagine being the, I mean, I guess it would be all right to be in that situation. But remember, I mean, they had a deal in place for $2.6 billion, billion dollars, and it fell apart. And now, given the state of the world, given the state of sports, you have to think that whenever they do, and it seems like there is some pressure on them to find new ownership before too long. It certainly doesn't seem like they're ever going to get a better deal than that unless they decide to, I guess, include uh, the SNY, which has not been part of the deal so far. But in terms of the actual story, in terms of the actual headlines, the actual things that are going on on this uh, Monday morning, the uh, league, Major League Baseball, set for a conference call today with all 30 owners. If all goes well, they're going to take that proposal, which seems like they're all on the same page in terms of that proposal, to the Players Association, who are not uh, just not, not on the same page. They're not in the same book. They're not even looking at paper. Those two sides have uh, a lot of uh, things to work out. But the owners themselves, all together, they seem pretty much all on board with what they want to do. Uh, and among the things, all the things you've kind of heard already, looking at about an 80-game regular season that would begin in July and would begin with no fans in the stands, at least to start. And given the the state of the world and, and given the state of the coronavirus and, and hearing things from Dr. Fauci and reading the, uh, the interview he had with Peter King on SI, it certainly seems like for Major League Baseball, a very good chance that if they do get the season started and they do are, are able to carry it all out throughout its conclusion, that all the games will take place with no fans in the stands, which... It's, it's kind of crazy to think that that would take place, but that seems to be part of the ideal situation. Uh, and, and at least the other part of the uh, the proposal is that it would not include bubble cities. It would not include uh, you know just playing games in Florida and Arizona. That the, the games would take place in as many cities as possible. Now the real issue, at least working out an agreement with the players is, not to be really a surprise, money. The owners say that they need further concessions from the players because there's not going to be any fans in the stands. The players already negotiated a deal for concessions and and working out on their contracts, a prorated portion of their contracts based on how many games they play. So how big of a deal is it going to be to ask the players for further concessions? At least one report so far is that uh, they plan to, uh, it's going to be a war, which uh, generally that's not, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. So uh, I said at the open, I, I refuse. Look, I'm hoping there's going to be a baseball season as the days go by. I guess I'm slightly more pessimistic that that is going to take place. Like if they come out today and say, you know, we have a, a deal on an agreement or, or something like that, maybe I'll start to swing back the other way. But, you know, as, as time goes on and, and you're just dealing with the same situation and not really much changes day in and day out, the only thing that changes, it seems like, is you get more longer stay-at-home orders, right? Like, it just seems like the same situation is just rolling along, and day after day, yeah, you're ticking the days off the calendar, but not really cha- nothing really changes. 
And that's true for Major League Baseball. It's all well and good to have all these proposals and these ideas, and we're gonna do, we're gonna try and do this, and we're gonna do a universal DH. Okay, great. When is when are people going to start showing up to spring training sites? Because that has not happened yet, and until it does, it feels like as time starts slipping away. I mean, again, July is not that far off. We're already almost halfway through May. And nothing has changed since the 1st of May. So while there are a lot of things that baseball has to work through, uh, until I get something that tells me, okay, this is what ba- this is the, the path forward for baseball, I'm not going to get all that worked up about the possibility that the owners and players won't have a season because they can't agree on the financial parameters. Because with all the people running things on both sides, they have to realize, read the room again, right? Read the room, people, where we're at, where the country's at, where what we've been through so far. I mean, 15, what what, what is the unemployment rate? 15%. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard for baseball to recover if they ever did have a situation where the season did not take place. Because the two sides could not agree on the financials. Now, if there was one league that you would say that that could possibly happen, I get it. It would be Major League Baseball. But I I refuse to believe that the two sides could possibly be that dumb and not come up with some sort of an agreement. Because that would be, I mean, there's a lot of words you could use. Moronic would be one of the first ones that comes to mind. And I, I got to believe that this is the, just negotiating tactics. And after baseball has this conference call today, they'll send over their proposal to the, the players. There'll be some back and forth. And that's the thing. There can't be that much back and forth. It's not like they can go on weeks and weeks and weeks. There has to be some sort of deadline here where they say, guys, we have to work out something by this point because we got to get people into spring training. We got to ramp all that up. We got to figure out a season. When it's going to start, when it's going to end, figure out a schedule. And, and, and that's not even to deal with the things that are outside of baseball's hands. Getting approval and getting clearance from healthcare officials, from government officials to, to deal with everything else. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to take place here. And baseball has this amazing opportunity if they can seize it. And I have to believe that they will be able to seize it in of of the things that they can control, right? There's a lot of things that I said outside of their control, but if they can't even do the things that they can control and work out those things, which would seem fairly, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm sure that there's a lot of negotiating that needs to take place and, and it's hard bargaining. I'm sure it's a lot of money that's involved, but you have to be able to, to, to figure this out because if you don't, I mean, the baseball gets mocked, a lot of times for things that they do wrong or, or things that are outside of their control. But if they were not able to come up with an agreement in place between the players and owners, they will get mocked more for that than maybe anything that has ever taken place. I mean, that this would probably be as bad. I'm not saying long term, but in terms of a PR blackout, this would be probably worse than the cancellation of the 94 World Series. That's how bad it would be. That's how bad it would look, given the state of the world and given the state of the the environment right now. 
Now, the other thing that took place yesterday, obviously, it is Monday, which means we, uh, maybe not yet, but uh, the two episodes of The Last Dance aired last night. I saw episode seven. I'll watch episode eight today. At least so far, to me, episode seven was the best episode because what makes this series so great is not just the story, not just the winning, not just the champion. It's it's the access they had to Michael Jordan. And and rather than hearing other people talk about him, how he talks about himself. And in this episode, it deals with his retirement, the death of his father, going to play baseball, all that. But it dealt with, again, and maybe in its in the most stark terms, his hyper-competitiveness and how that manifested in dealing with other people, trash-talking his teammates, and, and and I guess the kind of conversation you can have was he was making it out like he was doing that intentionally to get the best out of his teammates. I feel like given that he could not shut off this hyper-competitiveness, that it was nothing about getting the best out of his teammates. It was about once again showing everyone that he's the best and you're not. And whether that was opponents or teammates, he did that to everybody. He treated everybody the same. And a lot of times he treated everyone like garbage. All right, I guess that's going to do it for today. We are, we're already out of time. I mean, the show is already over. All right, that's going to do it for today. Please vote on the poll question. We'll be back tomorrow starting at 5 a.m. again. We'll see you then. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.